Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza, and I hope you're enjoying our new president and vice president as much as I am. We've got a great guest on tonight, uh, one of the world's finest violin players. He's an American jazz violinist, composer, and music educator. He's got uh, some great Midwestern roots and has spent a lot of time over the years and is currently living in St. Paul. Randy Sabine, uh, whose name you've probably heard of if you've listened to any of the great folk music that's been recorded uh, between Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Where he lives on Dayton Avenue in a in the uh, cool little duplex, and uh, we're going to talk with him about his career and listen to a lot of his music tonight. Before we get to uh, my guest, we're going to listen to a song he plays on, written by the old uh, country swing violinist and band leader Spade Cooley. The song is called Spade Ella, and then we'll have Randy Sabine on for the whole show. Good evening, Randy. How are you doing tonight on the uh, other side of the Berlin Wall, which I uh, refer to with the Mississippi River, which I refer to as the Berlin Wall because very few people enjoy both Minneapolis and St. Paul. No, that's right. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. And never the twain shall meet. Never, the, never Mark Twain shall meet. See, Randy, tell us a little bit about that uh, song. Well, it was written by Spade Cooley, and Spade Cooley was a, a Western swing violinist. In fact, he is responsible for coining the term Western swing, and in doing so, promptly proclaimed himself to be the king of Western swing. Well, there you go. <laughs> However, we all know that Bob Wills uh, created Western swing. And, and Bob and Wills is the king of it. And he's Although still Bob the king. Wills, still the king. He never uh, used the term Western Swing to describe himself, so he had to leave it up to Spade Cooley. But he was, <laughs> Spade was a wild, wild man. You can read more about it in the Crime Report online. Well, and we, we, we won't get into the gruesome details, but he uh, was arrested for murdering his wife. Yes, and this is an unfortunate thing about this song, is that Ella was his wife, and so he, he wrote a song called Spade Ella, and um, it's just uh, it's just fraught with uh, with depth. You just don't want to even go there. But it's a smoking tune, man. I mean, that tune that I did triple fiddles on it. It's it's just a, a killer tune. So I just went ahead and and, uh, and did my arrangement of it, and and there you go. Well, the other I think the other other uh, interesting sidebar to the Spade Cooley story. Uh, you know, he was very popular. He was on uh, television all over uh, all over California back then when they had those great uh, country music 
television shows. And uh, I believe after he did a certain amount of time in prison, he was pardoned by Ronald Reagan, then governor Correct. of California. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he did a, his first debut concert after getting out of his, his sentence was commuted. And backstage after his debut comeback concert, he was asked a question by the press. And they said, uh, um, what do you think you'd be doing uh, the rest of your life? Before he could answer, he, he dropped dead right there. And that was it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Randy Sabine, that's why I love having cats like you on. Because people only find out stuff like that when they listen to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Oh, I love that! Hey, Randy, when did you uh, when did you get the uh, the bug for the fiddle? Well, uh, what happened first was I I wanted to be a rock and roll drummer. This is fourth grade down in Rockford, Illinois, and there was this group called the Beatles. You may have uh, heard yeah. of them. And, uh, it rings a bell. Very, it rings a bell. Very exciting. Very exciting to to be uh, listening to that music and seeing the Beatles on TV, etc. And I wanted to be in on that action. And um, I was taking some drum lessons. My drum teacher was also the orchestra conductor at the high school that I would hmm. eventually attend. And so he just kind of just said, you should take violin lessons instead of drum lessons. And my parents said, okay. And he got me hooked up with the teacher and I took a violin lesson from the same teacher every week until I went off to college. Wow. And, but this whole time, I never really, you know, I wasn't drawn to the violin. It was just a thing that I was, you know, directed into as a kid. But I never lost interest in rock and roll and, and folk music and blues. So I taught myself how to play the guitar. I was in rock bands as a kid uh, on guitar and then violin in the orchestra and eventually those two worlds blended together and i heard um uh i discovered stefan capelli actually through a western swing band I went to sleep asleep at the wheel sure when i was a student at the university of illinois 1974 and um i'd never heard you know double fiddles they were playing these great harmonized horn lines it just blew me away, and I asked one of the fiddle players on the break, hey, that sounds cool, you know, we're going to hear more of that. And he says, you should check out Stefan Grappelli and Joe Venuti. And I remember right. getting a little bar napkin and writing those names down and trotting off to the record store the next day, and I found a Stefan Grappelli record, and boom, that was it. Hmm. Jazz violin. And, uh, of course, all this great work with uh, Django Reinhardt over the years. And then Venuti. Quite the character. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the jazz violin, but these <laughs> guys were really out there. <laughs> now, did you get a chance? Did you get a chance to meet either Stefan or Mr. Venuti? Yeah, I spent a lot of time with Stefan Grappelli. We really, were friends. I, I met him in Chicago. I was, I was still a student at the University of Illinois, and I saw. I was up there for a Jerry Garcia concert, and I picked up a. The Chicago Reader and saw that like a couple months later, Stefan Capelli was making his first U.S. tour. So I cut class and zipped up to Chicago and saw him play in this tiny little club called Ratzos down on, um, uh, on Lincoln Avenue. And um, yeah, I went right up with my violin on the break and introduced myself, and, and we became friends. And wow, saw him all kinds of times and. 
got some nice pictures with them, and we've got, got a lot of letters back and forth. Oh, the day when you that's wrote. incredible. You didn't yeah. call. You didn't have the Internet. You wrote letters. Right. You know? so, right. Well, that's pretty cool. He was he was an extraordinary human being and just a stellar violinist. I mean, you just can't even imagine. Well, I've got to ask. That guy. I, I love reading the stories uh, about Joe Venuti and the great story about how he and his buddy pushed the uh, piano out of the second floor window to see what key it was in. <laughs> no, he was a he was a character, practical joker. Yeah, and I saw him play one time in a in a huge auditorium. He was part of a little jazz festival thing in L.A. I never met him, but um. I've had some a guitar player that I work with, uh, Mike Dowling, recorded on his last two records in uh, in Chicago, and um, I I met uh, after he died. I was teaching at the Berklee College of Music, and then I met uh, the woman who had sort of taken him into her home at the end of his life, and she and her husband took care of Joe. Oh, nice in Seattle, and I. Uh, she gave me all of his orchestral arrangements, and wow. a bunch of music, and original his original copy of his. He wrote a um, a jazz violin method book back in the forties, and she gave me his personal copy of that. I have his briefcase. Oh and, my you know, goodness! I love that stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's really cool. I have some of this stuff. Well, really, so I, I was doing a lot of pops concerts, and I played these arrangements that Benuti used to play. And, uh, so that's pretty cool. I knew you were cool. I didn't know you realize Randy Sabine you were this cool. Tell us now. You went to uh, from the University of Illinois to the Berkeley School of Music for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, at the age of twenty-one, you're chairing the newly created string department that you created at the age of twenty-one. Yeah, I did um, two years at University of Illinois, one semester at Berkeley, and then I moved to Wisconsin to go to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. I did that for one semester. That was the spring of 78. And over the course of that summer, Berkeley decided to, to start a string department, and I was invited to apply, and they hired me. And so the fall of 78, I moved back to Boston, 21, and I started the string department there, um, which just couldn't believe I, I had an opportunity like that. It was just it's fabulous. Wow, we've got the great uh, violinist Randy Sabine on for the whole show on the Wall of Power Radio. T- uh, tonight we are going to listen to more of his music, get more of his stories. This is the first time I've ever talked to him uh, at length, a uh, couple of conversations before we set up this interview this evening. I can't wait to hear more stories. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is the first episode with the brand new President Biden and the brand new VP, Kamala Harris. And we're in a good mood here in the studio. And I believe our friend and guest tonight, Randy Sabine, is in a good mood in St. Paul, Minnesota. How do you feel about the uh, the election, our new press and VP? Oh, man, I can breathe again. <laughs> I know. I can relax. Four years of holding our breath. Holy smokes, what was that? Well, you know, I uh, when we uh, when I reached out, uh, you chimed in on a, on a Facebook post uh, relating, I had written something about Mimi uh, 
Farina, who I uh, had a lifelong crush on, the younger sister of Joan Baez. And uh, because I was speaking with Dar Williams on last week's show, and she had said, yes, I was having breakfast with Mimi. And then you chimed in and said, well, what about if you knew a guy that had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Mimi, which is how we uh, sparked my interest, although I've known your, your name for years, Randy. But tell us really quickly, so you went over to the Trump rally at the state capitol uh, last Sunday, correct? Yeah, I walked over there to see what was going on because I, I could hear the choppers. And, right. Um, they're either over the Capitol or the governor's mansion. I'm kind of in between them. So I, I walked down there. I looked down to from Kellogg and Summit, and I could see there were, you know, maybe a dozen people. And I thought, oh, this is just fizzling. Good. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and went back. Yeah. Hopefully it's a sign of, of things to come. Tell us about – there's so many things uh, I want to say. Let's talk about uh, – I'm interested in Boston, Eau Claire, Mimi Farina, uh, everything you're about, I'm interested in, Randy. So tell us about uh, your time in Boston. I had the pleasure of playing at the – I opened up for Mary Black on her last uh, uh, last show of her U.S. tour back. She's about 1996 or 95. And I played at the Berkeley Performing uh, Arts Center. Uh, which, oh, wow. Which was wonderful because uh, I – I can't read music, so for me to get there and perform was a huge, uh, a huge victory for Paul Metza. That's okay. Most of the students, most of the students that go to Berkeley can't read music. <laughs> so, were but you... they can when they leave. That's the thing. Well, they that's can... right. So now, anyway, so, um, yeah, I, tell I, us I, about. I oh, let me just jump in for a minute. So, tell us about. Was Mick Goodrick teaching guitar at that time at Berkeley? I didn't know all the guitar uh, teachers. I worked with Larry Bayonne. Okay. And we had a duo, like a Benuti Eddie Lang type of thing. Larry went on to become the chairman of the guitar department. Wow! Um, and that's the guitar player I worked with mostly and knew. Um, but you know, they had like a thousand guitar students. Yeah. And, you know, you can imagine how many guitar teachers they had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been so long ago. I, I I don't remember everybody's name, unfortunately. So, but Larry Bayonne was the guitar player. I uh, I connected with in a big way. So. Let's. Let, so now you're you're going to school. Uh, before you started teaching, and help me with your chronology. But after you got done at Berkeley, you went back to Eau Claire to the University of Wisconsin, correct? Yeah, and then then I then Berkeley hired me, and then that was the end of my college uh, student career, and it was into the college teaching career. So I was at Berkeley for about three years doing that. But I was, uh, you know, at that young age, um, well, the reason I got into music was to get out and tour and drive around and, and play gigs. Right. You know, I, I didn't imagine being, you know, taking the subway down to an office every day and, and doing that. I saw some of the older faculty there who were just like, you know, I didn't want to end up quite like that. Yeah. And I had an opportunity to to tour with Jim Post. Sure. And I, so know, I know how. I yeah, so I quit my gig at Berkeley after about three years, and I became Jim Post's full-time sideman. I played fiddle, mandolin, guitar, piano, sometimes if there was one on the stage. And I did that for two years, and that was the that was my uh, University of Jim Post um, uh, graduate study, intro to touring, and uh, how to how to be on the road as a musician and how to survive. I learned a lot from Jim. And Jim Post, he was a solo act primarily, singer-songwriter, 
he had the most powerful voice, and I've never seen anybody who could step up on the stage and do a, a solo show, essentially, night after night after night, and literally just destroy the audience. Mm-hmm. His powerful singing, sense of humor, he was edgy, um, edgy humor. It kind of sometimes went over the edge, but, you know, it was worth it. Because he right. never, never put on a bad show. He just got on and just completely devastated the audience. And, <laughs> and, and the young Randy Sabine was living the dream, right? Yeah, I'm just standing on stage, keeping up with the guy, and then we drive around in his car all over the country. And um, of Canada, we'd fly around to festivals. That's how I met Mimi Farina at the yes, let's, let, let's talk about the folk festival. Okay, tell us more. She she invited me to come up and, and accompany her on some songs because she she didn't like being on stage alone. Because it is playing a solo gig is tough, man. Yeah. And then she liked having you know just you know a violin, play some stuff, and take some solos, a mandolin, and and so then she hired me to uh, to do uh, a couple of tours with her, um, spend some time on the West Coast and then in the Midwest, you know, two or three tours, and then she uh, she stopped playing. Um, she had a, a nonprofit organization called Bread and Roses. Uh, out of Mill Valley, California, where she she put professional musicians into um, audiences that uh, couldn't get out, mm-hmm. prisons, sure. uh, senior citizens' homes, uh, mental hospitals, shut-ins. Anybody who can't get out to see a show, and and she put you know the top musicians in San Francisco into these venues. It was really great for these musicians, and it was great for the venues, and and that's what she dedicated her life. Uh, um, and after her, she stopped touring. It was very noble of her. Yeah, and uh, just an absolutely gorgeous human being. Lovely voice, uh, you know, with that great Joan Baez family bloodline vocal mastery. Uh, geez, I'm so fascinated by all this. I can't wait to meet you in person back when we can do that again and come and hang out. I got to... I gotta be able to walk around your apartment with Joe Venuti's briefcase just for the hells of it. <laughs> We're gonna listen to a little of uh, my guest Randy Sabine with Jim Post, and be back with uh, Mr. Sabine uh, for two more sets on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood, skin and bone. A man. That's weak in a back That's strong Your Lord Sixteen times And what do you get? Another day older And deeper in debt St. Peter Don't you call me Cause I can't go I owe my soul To the company store I was born one morning When the sun didn't shine Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is the third set. This is your host, Paul Metzip, with my new best friend, who I can't wait to meet, a violinist, composer, music educator, and uh, collector and cool cat, Randy Sabine. Randy, I was uh, going through your Wikipedia stuff uh, last night. You played on dozens of records and produced quite a few of them. Yes. As a sideman, and I'll tell you the, the first, the 
first record that I played on was with a fellow that you probably know from Minneapolis, Papa John Colston. Oh, yeah, I've known John for years. So I met him. I actually, when I was a student at Berkeley, he was also a student at Berkeley. And I saw him perform in the Performance Center, uh, like a student recital. And, you know, uh, know, I remember the name, you know, Papa, Papa John Colston. That kind of sticks in your head. Yeah. From Minneapolis, blah, blah, blah. I didn't. I didn't meet him or anything. And then next thing I know, I'm this student at UW-Eau Claire, and there's a coffee house uh, over there, like back in the days when colleges had coffee houses. Right. It's called The Cabin. And in my first week, I'm there in January. It's like 20 below zero, and, and like the first week of class, you know, Papa John Colstad playing for the weekend. Oh, nice. And, oh, my God, i got to go meet this guy. This is the guy. You know, I saw in Berkeley, so I went over and introduced myself, you know, on the set, had my violin, and, and he invited me to come and sit in with him the next night, and uh, I think he taught me a couple of tunes and met earlier in the next day or something, and um, so that and that was just, you know, my break into the Twin Cities world, and he had me come over and play uh, at the Coffee House Extent, sure. uh, the whole Coffee House. And I was doing gigs with Papa John Colstead. So then I met Rio Nito, anybody who was playing at the extent, at the extent, and Garrison Keeley. We'd go over and do Garrison's early morning radio show. Right. During the weekdays. He'd get there early and he would do the weather and a little story here and there. And then we'd go around and play some folk music and we'd go down to Keys Cafe for breakfast afterwards. Oh, I love and he was Keys. Just, just getting the Prairie Home off the ground. And so we'd actually play on the Prairie Home a lot on the, the Saturday afternoons. It was just a local show and whoever was playing the extent that weekend would be the special guest and the people coming through. So that was my entree into recording John John's first album. And then um, after that I started getting, you know, working with Greg Brown, recorded with Greg Brown. I uh, did an Austin City Limits show with Kate Wolf hmm. and toured with her. And, you know, little sideman recording sessions came up, did a bunch of records with Jim Post um, over the years. And so kind of between being a, a jazz violinist on my own with drums, bass, and keyboards, doing my own records, and I played a lot of folk music um, in the... Uh, in the upper Midwest, uh, singer-songwriters, and doing little sessions and little tours. You know, that's how you piece together a living. you got to do right. so many different things. Well, you know, you came, I moved to Minneapolis in 78, and I've been aware of the, uh, you know, the West Bank music scene, because a lot of those cats, Colstead and Spider John and Glover and Dave Ray, would play up in Duluth. Um, and I'd drive down and occasionally when I could see those shows. But you uh, kind of came of age, uh, and I'm sure you've got to know and probably played with a couple of my favorite people, favorite musicians, and two of the best fiddle players ever to come out of Minnesota, Bill Hinckley and Peter Ostrushko. Oh, yeah, I knew those guys. Well, I, I still know Peter. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, knew, I knew Bill. Yeah, I got, I got immersed into that right away. And um, I think the... Uh, I played on a prairie home with Peter Shushko, you know, many years ago. You know, we're kind of two peas in a pod, and uh, sure, I, uh, he's he's tremendous. You know, he's he's really great, inspiring. 
Well, and then, you know, it, it's guys like that, guys like you. I just, yeah, I, I'd love to meet you, but let's not have too many drinks because I really want to break your fingers because Ostrushko not only was a great violinist, uh, great mandolin player, but a lot of people don't realize what a great guitar player he was. Oh, I mean, Bill or Peter? Peter. Well, Bill was a hell of a Bill was a hell of a guitar player. You know, it's this multi-instrumental guys. Uh, I'm sure you. I, I, I saw him. Yeah, because he, he used to play with Robin Linda Williams. That's right. He played all those instruments. He, he, was, he was tremendous, man. And you know, he I I was honored. He uh, played on my very first LP, Paper Tigers. In '84, which now, after 35 years of being for sale in a variety of formats, I'm proud to say has finally gotten linoleum. Anyway. <laughs> oh, the linoleum? Was I supposed to laugh at that? Yeah, that you were, but that's okay. Well, I thought you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It said that's how tough the music business is, right? But, um, but the, so Peter played uh, 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 violin and and mandolin on my song Stars of the Prairie and I also I had heard him sing before which he didn't do a lot of and I had him uh, sing of harmony part and he's got just a, a, gor- a gorgeous voice just adore yeah. just adore yeah. that guy yeah and, and great writer yeah oh yeah it's fascinating yeah, yeah and he's got a uh, I haven't heard it yet but I've heard great things about his uh, podcast uh, I haven't heard them either, so yeah. there's another thing to do during the uh, during the lockdown. Yeah. Get bored. So now, you uh, over the years, you've been primarily based in the Midwest, besides your little stint in Boston, correct? Or have you lived yeah, other places around right. the country? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've uh, mostly uh, mostly upper Midwest. I lived in the in Eau Claire. I moved up to Shell Lake to my family. Uh, summer home for for a while, and bought my own place up around Hayward. I lived around Hayward for for quite a while, and then I was commuting back and forth to McNally Smith um, when I first got that gig. But then then eventually just moved down here, um, only to have it uh, fail. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then I go, okay, now what? Yeah, for sure, Mick failed for sure. Hey. Because you spent some time in Hayward, maybe you can ask the question because that's where the uh, the Great World Museum of Muskies is. And I want and I've been spelling muskie for years, M U S K I E. And yeah. there they have it, M U S K Y. Well, what's the correct spelling, Mister Sabine? Uh, I think both both ways. It's the the National Fishing Hall of Fame. Yeah, so I I was hoping to get in there by catching the world's smallest muskie, <laughs> which I think I may have done actually. Oh, but that's anyway. that's funny. So yeah, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to spell it. Well, it just uh, I was passing through um, doing a gig out there somewhere, and I, I said, "Well, here you have the." Uh, yeah, whatever whatever that museum was that celebrates the uh, history of the muskie, and they spelled it wrong. But that's just me. I'm from Minnesota. What the hell do I know? <laughs> so now, yeah, well, there's people are smarter in Minnesota. You're, you're there we go. Thank you very much. Fate. Correct answer, Mr. Sabine. So now, learn uh, how to spell. So what? So. Uh, when did you uh, move? You, you uh, taught at uh, McPhail. Did you? So when did you move to St. Paul? I moved to the, I don't remember the exact year, but it was the year that Scott Walker was elected the governor. 
in Wisconsin. And I remember moving here that year. 2010? Was it 2010? Well, that's probably would have been right. Yeah. When I became an official resident. And then I just heard, wow, you know, what happened to Wisconsin? I leave? And look what happened. <laughs> I'm over here with Governor Dayton, and yeah. everybody seems to be getting along pretty well. Yeah, well. So I, I escaped just in, in the nick of time. Well, Wisconsin, it's given us Scott Walker, Ed Gein, Joe McCarthy. Uh, the list goes on and on. We did get Chris Farley out of the deal, so that was good. And back when I was a kid, I loved Bart Starr and Paul Horning. So uh, Wisconsin was not all bad, although I wish they'd mask up over there, for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're having issues. And they've fallen in like you know a lot of other states, unfortunately. But, you know, the pendulum should swing back the other way for too long, hopefully. Um, you know, as of now, right? Yeah, as of now. So what, uh, I imagine you have uh, an incredible record and book collection, and I'm guessing, but when I see, well, see your apartment, I, I see a lot incredible. of books and records. I have, I have a, you know, a substantial, once I discovered jazz violin, then it was like, okay, how many jazz violinists are out there? Where are their recordings? Those were the days when you'd have to go to, you know, record stores. Right thumb through, you'd read about, on a liner note, you'd read about another jazz violinist, and you'd go to the letter S, and you'd find Stuff Smith. Right, Stuff Smith, sure. And then you'd read about that, and then you'd find some European guys, and it was a quest. You'd you'd have to thumb through all these rows of vinyl in one store to the next, and uh, it was very exciting, you know. So I've got uh, lots of vinyl, um... And of course, I grew up in the in the '60s, so I've got my vinyl record collection is you know same as everybody else's. The band and the yeah. Allman Brothers, the Grateful Dead, the Beatles, and you know Mothers of Invention, sure. and, you know, folk music, on and on. So yeah, and I got a bunch of '78s. I started collecting the, some jazz violin '78s and Western swing, but you know it, you can only collect so much until you just go, my gosh. Um, Maybe I should get rid of some of this stuff. Yeah. No, now I, everything is online. Yeah. You know? I'm going through you, that. You uh, anything you want at any minute, and it's, uh, it's, it's astounding. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I'm almost making that treacherous leap to Spotify. I've got, you know, 2,500, 3,000 LPs. I'm considering, you know, I'm planning on moving to Duluth, and it's like, well, what am I going to do with all these records? Uh, yeah, you know, but I'm enjoying them in the meantime. Say we got a minute. Yeah. We got a minute left in this set. Tell us about the worst gig Randy Sabine ever ever did. And I'm not saying <laughs> playing wise. I'm just saying in terms of mortal terror. <laughs> well, that's going to be tough because most of my gigs have been pretty good. I mean, I've never played places where like people were throwing beer bottles at me or or anything like that. I mean, I remember, I mean, just personally, I had to leave the stage in the middle of a Jim Post show because I was coming down with the flu. And if, if you've ever been on stage trying not to be sick right, and just using every power within you to say, I am not sick, I am not getting sick, this is not happening, I'm going to make it through the gig, and then nature takes over, and you have to make a very quick exit. You leave your instruments on the stage. 
you exit, and then then you get in your car and you go home. Right. And, you know, and then Jim had to pack up my instruments. I mean, that is... Sabine, if that's as worse is that if that is the worst it's ever been for you, uh, I God bless you. That's all I could say. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can't think of a you know. I've, I've been cold. I've played outside in the snow um, with my violin. I've I've had you know maybe I've just put these things out of my mind. <laughs> Well, sometime I'll tell you about the New Year's Eve I did with my band Cats Under the Stars where we played in a double-wide trailer uh, for a biker gang uh, who had spiked the beer with LSD and after four hours wouldn't let us leave. But that's... Uh-oh. that's... It sounds like someone should interview you in your show. <laughs> We're going to listen to a song that my buddy, uh, uh, my guest Randy Sabine played on called Money from a Stranger with a great... Uh, Clyde Stubblefield, we'll talk about Clyde more with Randy after that. This morning, I didn't get out of bed, I didn't look in the mirror, it's cause I'm dead, oh I got the dead man blue, you know I done played my last trip, I'm laid out cold and stiff, I got the dead man Baby never left me. She was always my best friend. Stood right there beside me. Welcome back to the fourth set of the Wall of Power Radio. We just heard a track featuring my guest, Randy Sabine, on fiddle, and the great acoustic guitar player and singer, Pat Donahue, singing a song called Dead Man Blues that was engineered by uh, Mr. Sabine and my personal friend. Chopper Black, who was uh, ran the recording department over at uh, McDonnelly Smith, you said you had a great story about uh, Chopper. Let's hear it. Yeah, well, uh, back when I was living in uh, outside of Hayward, it was back in the you know, late 80s, maybe 89, 90, something like that, I started getting these letters from this guy named John Sabin, S-A-B-I-N, mm-hmm. which is just one letter off of my name. For some reason, he heard me on the radio and he started contacting me and saying, you know, maybe we're related, but I have a son named Lance Saban, who's a guitar player in um, Minneapolis, and you should get hooked up with Lance Saban and his producers, Chopper Black. you got to go meet these guys. And, you know, okay, well, <laughs> whatever. I get these letters from this guy. I never even met this guy, John Saban. All right, so some time goes by, and... Um, a woman named Karen Nielsen, a singer, uh, moved up to Clam Lake and with her husband started a little bistro bar in the middle of nowhere up outside of Hayward. 
called the Clam Lake Lodge, and she wants to get back into music, and she's um, working with me, and I'm helping her do some things, and she says, well, here's my record. And I look at this record that was recorded in Minneapolis, and it sounds great. Chopper Black is the engineer. So okay. now there's another Chopper Back Black thing popping up in my life. So we talked to Karen about Chopper Black, blah, blah, blah. Still don't know the guy. and haven't met him. So many, many years later then, I get this gig at McNally Smith College of Music. And I, I go down on the first day of work. I go down into the, the basement where they had the faculty cubicles. And, and in the perimeter of this basement room were the offices of the chairman of the departments. And, and I walk over to my desk, and I walk by the nameplate on this one office, Chopper Black. And I go, no. <laughs> Great. And I'm sitting there, okay, I have to meet this guy. And I waited, you know, I don't know how long it took, a day or two before I finally actually saw him in there. So I knocked and went in and introduced myself and told him that story. And it was like, <laughs> wow. Fate. Yeah. Fate I was world. destined to meet Chopper Black, and it was foreshadowed in my life. That's you fantastic. Know, didn't really... Pay attention, but wow. And then, you know, we're teach I see him all the time in the school and he's a gregarious guy and I had my students come in and record with him and then and then you know, we worked on this project. He produced this record for me, uh, called Soul of a Man. Um so that's the Spade Della is off of that and also this Dead Man Blues. Cool. So I got the, got Pat Donahue to sing this Dead Man Blues. I wrote this tune because uh it's based on a joke which I'm sure you've heard what did the blues musician have written on his tombstone? What? Didn't wake up this morning. <laughs> See? <laughs> I said, that sounds like the first line of a song to me. I wrote, it, I wrote that down on a piece of paper and the song wrote itself. It took me about five minutes. So, Oh, that is fantastic. And I'm going to be using it as soon as I get home tonight, making yeah, a few phone calls. So what, uh, what in the, during the pandemic, uh, Mr. Randy Sabine, what have you been uh, working on? Um, I've been working on the New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, been working on my, uh, my fishing skills. Nice. And uh, I've been playing a lot of guitar and a lot of piano. Because playing the violin by yourself is probably one of the most boring things you could possibly do. Huh, interesting. So I've really, really upped my game on those instruments. Um, here's one thing I haven't done. I have not gotten in my car and driven thousands of miles. And I'm very happy for that. Yeah. In fact, I'm almost, I'm almost money ahead right. by not playing gigs. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Well, it's like they say, you know, if you want to make a million dollars in the music biz, start with two million. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, so what? I've, I've go, weathered go it quite easily, I believe. And um, I'm, you know, I've been so, so much of my life has been traveling and getting on planes and driving around and doing gigs. And it's just always so nice to be home for a day or two. It's nice to have a weekend off yeah, every right. now and then. And so to have 
long periods of time at home, not driving anywhere, not getting on the stage. To me, it was a it was great. It's been great. It's like having a fabulous vacation, yeah. in my opinion. And that's how I've looked at it. And um, I've just taken the time to enjoy my life. And I'm lucky because I'm on the other end of the spectrum. My son, who's 26, he's a, a production a guy and does these electronic dance music. He was just getting off the ground. He had some really nice gigs, nice big tours lined up this past summer, and that all collapsed. And he lost a lot of that momentum that he's been working so hard towards. You know, you get to your mid-20s, and you've worked, and now... You're ready to, yeah, hit the road. The rug was pulled out from under him. And well, let's give him a shout-out. What is his, uh, what's his DJ name, and does he have a website? Yeah, uh, his, his given name is Ryland, named him after Ry Cooter, but his performance um, name is Beak Nasty, like the beak of a bird, and nasty, although he's the sweetest kid. But, you know, you get on stage with those turntables and his drummer and you start cranking up his little productions and uh, and it becomes nasty. Beach nasty. We'll check that out. Randy Sabine, this has been a most enjoyable conversation. Uh, I picked up a a new joke from you that I will be using until I wear it out. And uh, I will look forward to when things uh, get back to whatever sort of normal we're going to have you and I are either going to go have lunch at my favorite uh, joint in town, Mickey's Diner, or if we get a couple bucks up, uh, we'll go to Mancini's and have a steak and a martini or two. There you go. <laughs> There's two extremes. And I, um, I'm within crawling distance of W.A. Frost and Moscow on the Hill, so you know. Uh, yeah, love both those maybe, places as well. You can park at my house, and we'll. Uh, We'll go bar crawling. That sounds good. I'll crash on the couch. You, you can, I can do better than that. I have a guest room with a nice futon. I'm taking you up on that, Mr. Sabine. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the new administration for the next four years. And these were uh, just fascinating conversations, and I really do look forward to meeting you. Well, we'll continue it in person. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Randy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metzler, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guest, Randy Sabine. You can follow him at randysabine.com. Sabine is spelled S-A-B-I-E-N, randysabine.com. We hope you're all enjoying the new next four years of positivity with Democrats in control. Follow me at paulmetza.com and like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.